Just here. So, got a new haircut. I would like to thank uh, Cut and Shave here in Astoria. They are somewhere between like 14th and 12th, somewhere in there. Um, did a great job. I'd like to thank Lindsay. She was the one who cut my hair today, and she did a fabulous job. It was a great feeling to have your hair cut. And I tell you, you know, when you think about like, Sometimes when you're not feeling as good as you should, like on a rainy day like this, and you go and get your hair cut, it really lifts your spirits and makes you feel a whole lot better about things. Um, but it shouldn't make you feel any better about the bond market. So the bond market, the yield curve inversion, has really starting to, to uh, take place. We got the three-year now paying or now yielding more than just about anywhere else on the curve if I was looking at the uh, chart right, or at least it was last time I looked at it. So unless something's changed, that's the way I believe it still is. And this is really showing the nervousness coming from investors. And, you know, if you're not familiar with the bond market, this is something that like really is pretty critical to understanding how the economy works. And there's still like a lot of people who I talk to who really just don't really even understand like what a bond is or what it does to, you know, for the economy. And uh, I mean, ultimately, like to understand what a bond is, is it has a coupon to it and that coupon is the interest that it pays so if you can imagine back in the day when you used to get paper bonds you could have a bond with the face value so when that thing mature matured it would be whatever the face value was so say it's you know a hundred dollar face value once it reaches that maturity date then you can go and cash it in for a hundred bucks but then along the bottom of it will be some coupons and those coupons would have a percentage that they would pay 10 percent, whatever and you would be able to tear those little coupons off like say once a year on a 10-year bond and go and cash them in for the interest rate that they would pay that was the coupon that would it would pay well depending on how much demand there was for that bond the yield that it would pay so the coupon never changes but the price that a, an investor would pay for the bond would so if a, an investor is like hey i really really am interested in that bond i will pay you like more than what you paid for it even though I know that in the end, by the time I cash it all in, I will have, you know, received less than the original investor had because I'm paying more for that bond, but still I get a little bit more for it. That's the yield dropping. So the price of the bond goes up and the yield goes down. That's the easiest way to kind of understand why yields work inversely to price. And when the yields go up, that's where the investors are like, hey, I'm getting out of this particular item. So anyway, that's what we're seeing taking place right now. And I said to watch at the, watch the 30 year, or I'm sorry, watch the, the three year, or the, I'm sorry, the five year, 10 or 30 year to, for the, um, for the initial inversion to see where like corporate management and their willingness to invest. And you can see that was dropping dramatically there. I got that from Alan Greenspan. And that was the first part of the yield curve to invert was that five year, 30 year. But now, like I said, it looks like it's, uh, it's starting to really take place on the short end. And this is where even like Powell was saying you have to be concerned about is that the short end of the yield curve starting to rise and we're, we're seeing it now. Um, you know, I see a lot of people talking about and I just want to kind of add this in. And this is something that I keep hearing a lot of people talk about is that the yuan is going to take over. And I'm seeing more articles about this as the world reserve currency. And OK, um, I could see where like it could be leaning towards that like it could take 
a bite out of the world reserve currency being the US dollar being the world reserve currency. But the idea that they're actually going to take over as the world reserve currency, I think is a very far off idea. Ultimately, in order to be the world reserve currency, you have to be able to supply the world with currency. In order to supply the world with currency, you come up with what's referred to as Triffin's Dilemma is that you ultimately have to go into severe deficits, deficits and mass purchasing in order to get that stuff in, out there. So unless China is willing to stop the massive amounts of, of exporting it does and turn more into an importer and then take on an incredible amount of debt in order to supply the world with the bonds that it needs for securing other assets and debts and loans and stuff. It's just like, I mean, is it possible? Yes, but is it going to happen? I mean, it's like, not really. I mean, we're going to have to see an ultimate crash of the entire system for something like that to even remotely come close to starting to take, I mean, to getting in there. It's taken place. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's happening. You can find evidence of it out there. But I don't see that it's actually going to take over as a world reserve currency and not in any time soon. After the ultimate crash, after like the dollar is gone, who knows what's going to be after that. It would be some sort of, in my mind, it's probably going to end up being some sort of like, you know, central bank digital currency on a world kind of basketing basis. Like, I don't know how to quite say it, but like an SDR version of a, of a central bank currency that can be used, you know, between, between nations and corporations and stuff. Um, that may be one that's already in use. Like a lot of people will probably point at XRP or the Ripple, you know, as as being that that particular that particular uh, digital digital coin to to do that kind of trade, or it could be one that's not even you know established yet. So we don't really know what's going to come in the future. I feel that most of that's probably going to come from a massive world downturn, global crisis kind of thing, and this will be like the saving thing coming in and. Everybody will be super happy that it's happening. All right. So I got about a half an hour out here, guys. What are you all talking about? 82 of you out here. I really appreciate you coming in. Be sure and hit the like button. Uh, you know, I never ask for you guys to like or subscribe to the videos or anything like that because I figure that if it's a worthy video, then you guys would go ahead and just like it. But if you like these live streams, it gets the algorithm out there and finding more people to come into the into the chat so we get more people commenting and that's a lot more fun so anyway uh questions what do we got going on out here if there was a perfect scenario that made the economy crash at least painful as possible how would it play out um this you're seeing it i i think this would be it um you know a lot of <laughs> A lot of you know, I, I don't know what made me think of this, but a lot of you know that I'm not much into politics and I really just don't follow politics a whole lot. And people ask me all the time, well, like, who do you think should be president or whatever? I'm like, whoever is going to crash this thing the fastest so we can start again, you know, that's who I'll vote for president. And so anyway, I'm, I hope I don't get what I wish for. Or maybe I do. Um, let's see here. Looking good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the haircut from Cut and Shave over in... Uh, here in Astoria, I believe it's just out off of 14th Street on, on commercial. And it's cool. Those guys are super professional. And ladies, uh, Lindsay, who cut my hair today, they're super professional. They do everything like very classy, like, um, you know, straight razors, like 
the hot shaving cream. They'll do the hot towel thing. They, they'll go all out if you want. I just went in there and got the haircut, but you know, it was worth it because, you know, they do a meticulous job of it and she did great. So anyhow, um, moving on to economics again. Are you Dustin of Johnny Cash per chance? Descendant? Oh, of, <laughs> gosh, I can't read for shit. Um, of Johnny Cash per chance. No, I wish I was a descendant of Johnny Cash, but I am not. Any advice for any small YouTubers? Okay. Great question. Um, a lot of people ask me about YouTube and how it is that I was able to, you know, build this YouTube channel up. Um, ultimately, I made sure that I was trying. I mean, the start starting off, you have to do good videos, right? You have to do videos that people are going to want to watch, or you have to have at least a presence in which that you know people are willing to stick with the video if you just put out crappy videos all the time then people aren't going to go out there for it so make sure that you have something that people are going to want to watch to begin with and then it's it's continuous it's like commitment on a level that you know kind of leads you to be a little bit insane like you have to really commit to the channel on a level that is like like you don't care if it, if it does anything else other than you're going to be posting good videos. The more you do it and the more interaction you begin to get with your channel, then follow your channel, watch and listen to the viewers. Cause they're going to tell you what they like to see and what they don't like to see about the videos. Then follow their lead, follow, follow what they want. Like, you know, give them, give them exactly what it is. Like for me, they were saying, Hey, like, do the short videos because normally I do like an eight to ten minute video. And to be honest with you guys, I would I used to just do like two minute videos, but and I hate to say it, but it's really kind of I guess it's a little bit of a greedy aspect. But then other people were asking for it before I got monetized, but you get paid more if you have a longer video. So eight to ten minutes is where I kind of go to. Besides that, like most people's attention span kind of falls off after that. So those are kind of some of the things that I was, that I kind of followed is that, you know, I tried to make videos that people would really want to see, made them short, listen to the viewers and persistence, like just be dedicated to doing it and just don't have any other choice. Even if you're not feeling well, you go out and you make a video and you don't give up and you just kind of just believe that it's going to happen. Having a, a nice viewers, in the beginning, like having a few viewers who are like very encouraging in the beginning was very helpful for me. So if you see a YouTuber out there who is trying to get started that you really like, keep giving the, keep giving them the pat on the back or her and, and they're going to do well. Like they'll, they'll like, you know, they'll do much better if they have the encouragement to go along with it. So if they believe they can do it. Uh, got a hat, got a couple of super chats. Who is here? Unscripted with Antonio. Thank you for all the good information. I really appreciate your insight. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the super chat. Uh, Jaws, thank you so much. Should I be nervous about my cash in the bank? All at one bank. It it's well under two hundred and fifty thousand, but it's a lot to me. Um, I probably I I. I probably wouldn't have that much in one spot personally. Um, but to each their own. I'm not terribly nervous about there being a banking crisis of that magnitude at this point. Um, 
you know, there is going to be a liquidity issue coming into the future as like loans are tightening up and the interest rates rise and people are going to be looking for cash out there that it's not going to be as easily found. That sort of thing is going to take place. But the actual money in the bank, I at this point, I wouldn't be that nervous to pull everything out and like stuff it under the mattress. But I would not. I, I mean, personally, I wouldn't have that much sitting in one location. But then again, like I don't have that much. So what would I what would I <laughs> what would I know? Like, I don't know what I would do with that much money, but I don't even have remotely close to anything like that. So um, but that's me personally, like I have most of like what I would call like my cash holdings. Like I don't I can't I have that's in the bank. Like I don't you know, I don't keep a lot of cash. I mean, like whatever's in my wallet is most of it. So when I like when I say that I hold cash, I mean, pretty much it's in the bank or in various bank accounts. I don't hold it all at one bank. Uh, that's another thing. Like, you know, when it comes to having a bank account, at least from like my perspective of like being wary of having bank accounts frozen and stuff, having lots of places to to have money from, like to be able to, you know, transact in crypto, transact with debit, transact with you know, silver, transact with cash, whatever, to be able to have various ways of doing transactions to me is like another way of like kind of being in security or having an insurance that, away from like, you know, things that happen like up in Canada where they froze everybody's bank accounts after the Bitcoin stuff or whatever, you know. All right, uh, I'm kind of babbling. What's going on here? Thank you again for the super chat. I really appreciate it. Oh, here's another one. Uh, John Velasquez, thank you very much. Look at you big timing with your fancy haircut. Just kidding. Looking good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's looking good, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. By the way, um, we were talking about meetups. And let's do that. Um, next week, let's, let's do like a Thursday. If, uh, if you're in Astoria or you're in the Astoria area and you want to meet up, let's... Um, What coffee shop should we go to? Let's think of a coffee shop. And I'm not sure which one to go to. Like the one over on um, on 12th. On the corner of 12th. It's like kind of across from the Liberty Theater. We'll talk about it a little bit more in future videos. But anyway, if you guys are happen to be in the area, come by. Let's go like say 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 to 11. And if nobody shows up, I will attempt to read a book. All right, so let's move on. Go to Walmart? Yeah, let's all hang out at Walmart and talk economics. All right, isn't it illogical that the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency? Isn't it illogical? Um, in what sense? Like, that it's going to be everlasting? That's illogical, but, I mean, it's just a... It's a medium of exchange, so it's not really meant to be a store of value. It's just meant to do transactions, and it does that pretty well. So, I don't know. What what, what would do better than, than that right now? I mean, there's a lot of things that would probably do better for a store of value. There's probably a lot of things that would do better for protection against, like, say, sanctionings and freezing of assets and stuff like that. But as far as, like what it does its purpose i mean just it's just meant to be a transfer of, of value and wealth so holding it yeah that's like illogical but it depends on why you're why you're holding it for the reasonings that you are holding it like you know for my idea that i believe that i think for me 
is that there's going to be a moment here coming in the future that the dollar is going to be worth a hell of a lot more than what people ever thought it would be. And there's going to be a lot of assets out there that you can buy if you have the cash because you're not going to be able to get a loan to get it. That's my personal belief. Whether it happens or not, who knows? But that's kind of one of the scenarios that I'm kind of leaning towards and thinking about and may possibly take advantage of if I can, if I happen to have any money at the time. All right. Why not you want? Because, they, okay, so another reason why not you want is because you have to trust it. And, like, even though, like, the dollar, the U.S. and all that is not necessarily, like, trustworthy, at least it's a free-ish nation, right? I mean, China's not even close. So you want to put trust in China over the U.S.? I mean, at least you can pretend that you can trust the U.S. You can't even pretend to trust China. So that's, you know, that's another reason. Sorry, I don't mean to get aggravated about that. I, <laughs> I'm not aggravated. I'm just kidding, guys. All right. Nice haircut. Thank you. Uh, get real, kids. All right. Here in Argentina, the U.S. dollar is only is the only game in town. It's about the only thing to save in. There it is, right? See, here in the United States, within the borders, people don't look at it the same way as outside of the United States. You go to foreign nations out there who are who have gone through hyperinflation or inflationary scenarios in their own local domestic national currencies compared to the U.S. dollar, the dollar is gold. There is nothing else. They're not going to trust anything else. I mean, they could, but they don't. <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the things that I just keep trying to reiterate is that these things are changing. It's going to change. But until you see, like, China taking on a massive amount of debt and pushing their bonds out there for people to use and leverage off of, and they are buying in more product than they are exporting because that's what it's really going to take in order to provide the world with the world with the with a with a reserve currency. I don't see it happening. So anyway, let's move on to something else. What else do you guys want to talk about? Hey, another dollar ninety nine. Thank you, Jaws. Thoughts on Russia going to ruble for oil, not in U.S. Yeah. Um. Again, this is like, a, it's the move, it's happening, but, okay, so people need to buy their, their ruble first before they get the oil. What are they going to do with the ruble other than buy oil with it? Like, you know, it's like forcing them to buy into the ruble in order to get the oil. It's not like a demand for it. It's not like they can take that ruble and go and buy, you know, well, maybe they will at some point, but then... You know what I'm saying? Go there, take the ruble and do a trade with the foreign nation with the ruble. Nobody really wants the ruble unless they're going to be buying oil from from Russia. And if they're not buying oil from Russia, then they really won't want the ruble. So kind of, you know, think about it on that kind of scale. Yeah, I mean, they can say, hey, you have to use the ruble in order to buy our oil, which would force a demand for their for their currency, which would give a value to it. But then it's only limited to that. It's not like the U.S. dollar where it's like a demand for it on a massive scale for everything out there. I mean, even for corporations that owe debts inside of U.S. currency and they have nothing to do with the U.S. They're not even involved in the U.S., but yet they have debts that are due in U.S. dollars. There's a huge demand for dollars out there. You know, um, once this thing starts to go, like, you think about it, if people are going to get out of the dollar, like a dollar just like, okay, we're done with the dollar, we're not going to use it anymore, we're not going to take out debts in dollars anymore, we're not going to, you know, buy anything in dollar, whatever, that is going to cause a huge deflationary scenario. As people get out of the dollar and they start to 
unload those debts or unwind those debts and not roll them over into new dollar debts, that's going to be a shrinkage of dollars out there in the system. It's going to cause a collapse of, of mass proportion as people will not be able to acquire enough dollars to pay off all the debts that are out there. That's what I see. That's why I think that the dollar is probably going to do very well at some point. And then after that, it's going to do horrible, right? It's going to be like, you, you, it's a timing issue. That's not going to be, but a very small window of opportunity. And people are having no idea what's, they're going to have no idea what's happening at the time. Like none. They're going to see the dollar rising and they're saying, that's a strong, you know, United States or whatever. And everybody else is going to be out there going, oh my gosh, it's coming to an end. All right. Gosh, I'm babbling today. I had a lot of coffee. Alright, dollar dollar milkshake, y'all. Yep, that's exactly a dollar milkshake theory. Fresh haircut, yes, and thank you very much, because I'm feeling good with my new haircut. Finally caught you live. You rock, dude. Thanks for what you do. Well, I really appreciate that. I'm going to be out here for probably another 10 or 15 minutes or so. So go tell all your friends and hit the like button. There's 188 of you and 91 likes, so please hit the like button and... We'll get more people up here into the chat. So thank you. Let's see. Question. Do you know much about the situation in Japan with them buying unlimited amounts of Japanese treasuries to keep the yield curve and the ramifications worldwide? Um, you know, other than they have been in a constant battle against deflation, like they, they hardly have any inflation over in Japan. The old... The growing population, like the, put it this way, what was it, one of the stats that's over there, they sell more adult diapers than they do baby diapers in Japan, right? That's not economic activity. That's not like a population of people who are really going out there and just partying up and going on vacation and doing things that are really like going to have a lot of spending and transactions happening. So they're not doing well as far as trying to get the inflation up. So they constantly are constantly in a quantitative easing position in which that they are trying to basically inflate the dollar, inflate their currency in order to keep the thing from going the opposite direction. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but just go and take a look at like some of the news articles. Like I actually found quite a few good articles that were talking about the the attempts of inflation and the battle against deflation that is taking place in Japan. And ultimately they're, they're not going to be able to go anywhere. They're like stuck, right? Cause until you can, I guess, basically find the population of people who are willing to spend more than the people who are standing there absorbing and not spending. Like, I don't know quite how to explain that, but it's a demographics issue and it's going to be continuing until that shifts. Uh, let's see. Let's continue on here. Um, an educated economist. Won't the UBI and the uh, that Cali is implementing cause even more problems by giving people more money to spend, which will chase all chase already low inventory. This seems purposeful to me. Um, yeah. It, it well, it is purposeful, and it is to to i mean there's going to be a lot of arguments on it ultimately for me the way i see it it's trying to get money velocity moving that's really where it's going to come down to 
As the interest rates begin to rise, money velocity is going to slow down, and that's going to be a deflationary scenario. This is like, I know it's hard to see because prices just keep moving up, but there's supply chain shocks. There's going to be manufacturing issues coming into the future as there's going to be less people demanding products and the manufacturer is going to slow down. This is going to cause an even bigger problem as the inventory starts to deplete without new manufacturing to back it all up. So we're going to have a bunch of inventory here as everything begins to come out of the warehouses and off the ships and starts going through the supply chain. But right now, there's not a big demand for manufacturers to go out there and start filling in that supply chain because there's a backlog of this stuff. So they're going to back off like we're seeing at the like Canfor, you know, the mills, there's going to be an inventory depletion and then there's going to be hardly anything coming up and behind it. And then the manufacturers are going to ramp up again. And then you're going to see like, you know, the whole cycle, it's the blow up effect, oversupply, undersupply. I kind of lost my place. Where were we talking? <laughs> UE, I am thinking of building a home in Costa Rica. Will materials be cheaper moving forward or is the cheapest it'll be for a while? Um, I, I would keep an eye on lead times. As long as lead times are extremely long, um, I keep an eye on vinyl windows. Vinyl windows I thought was coming down, like, for a while there, it did seem like that we were going to see the vinyl window, uh, lead times come back to what would be a better position. I can't say normal, because normal would be, like, 10 days. At least that's what I remember ordering windows. Now we see two months. They were down at like the six weeks, six weeks to two months, but now they're up around two months again. So I would keep an eye on those lead times. If those lead times can come back down to just like even a couple of weeks, then the prices are going to come down too because the competition for windows is going to be a lot less. You, you know, it's like supply and demand like anything else. So if you're looking for cheaper building materials, keep an eye on the lead times. When the lead times start to come down, then I would be ready. I would get ready for it. Whether or not we actually see price reductions, I mean, you could see it in like probably framing material when it comes to like two by fours and plywood, stuff like that. But when it comes to cabinets, doors, windows and stuff, these prices are going to get set. They're not going to reverse those prices unless there is like very little demand out there. Unless all of a sudden like the demand for this stuff just falls off the charts. Hardly any building taking place. Nobody's like, you know wanting wanting to you know do any work and then you can start seeing the prices come down but they can only come down to the cost of production and if they have ramped up production by buying new equipment and hiring as many people as they could or however you know they went about it they could find themselves pretty much like malinvested and then now they can't they can't afford to make their payments and then income the bankruptcies and stuff wow i really babble don't i okay uh what time is it 26 we still got a few minutes here Hedge yourself with rotary telephones. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I joke around with a couple of the younger employees at the store and talk about rotary phones and how you used to, you know, have to spin the dial and joke around about it. And you'd mess up, you'd get to like the eighth number and you'd, you know, or the seventh number and screw it up, have to start over. Could you could at least show us a picture of that little hottie? Which one are you talking about? I don't have a little hottie. I got my wife. But if any little hotties want to email me, I don't care. That'd be fun. Uh, let's see. Live in Stone Age and no demand. Live in Stone Age and no demand. Yeah. The chaos that will unfold makes it impossible to be certain with 
uh, certain who will benefit and who will not have to remain fluid yep that's for sure i mean you're gonna have to you, who knows what direction stuff will go i mean you know i i see the homeless population growing and that makes me wonder what it is that's like really coming because i i don't know it's getting it's getting tough it's getting scary out there okay um Let's see. BRICS nations are slowly getting stronger and the BRICS nations are slowly getting stronger and will continue to be. I'm opposition to the U.S. dollar. Yeah, for that reason. I mean, if you if I mean, for that particular reason, I would be like if you just follow them. I mean, obviously, they're they're going about they're going about it in a way that they will like you got one that's growing weaker and one that's growing stronger. Right. And so that's kind of what you have to look at one of them is getting attacked with the idea from you know everything that's gone on and all their dominance that they've had and people are sick of it and then you got this other one that's like hey you know we're like a new fresh up and coming concept so you know i mean yeah they are getting stronger it's going to continue petrodollar is done put all your chips on black well i don't know the lumber future charts are is not too appealing no, it's not. What are we just just under a thousand per thousand today? And um, I can assume that going into into this, that we are probably, you know, I mean, we're coming into the building season. And if Canfor is not the only mill that's curtailing, then I can see that there could come a, a time there where lumber could have a very quick drop as they try to get this inventory cleared out as quickly as possible and then a big rise again right after that so i would look for, like if you're looking to time it i mean you can kind of see the prices are already dropping i mean they were at 1400 per thousand now we're at a thousand per thousand they don't really seem to be moving up dramatically but they do move down fairly dramatically so who knows where they're going to go, but I could see them probably going down to say like the six to 700 per thousand mark. I think that would probably be a realistic number for them to be at considering, you know, all the input costs that are now going into these mills are driving up what the product needs to sell for in order for them to stay profitable. So anything under 600 per thousand, they'll probably curtail development. Anything, you know, anything around seven, 800 per thousand, they're probably still going to be profitable. So I would imagine that's probably the number to look for for some sort of equilibrium how long that takes who knows and then you also have to take into consideration some of the things that are happening down in the southern part of the united states like how quickly can they get these mills up online and pulling these this glut of pine trees get them milled up and in, into the supply chain there's a lot of scenarios that can come from that it doesn't look like british columbia is coming back from their heyday of like just pumping out massive amounts of lumber that's where the mill is actually doing their curtailing is up in up in the British Columbia area. So anyway, that's me rambling about lumber. All right, 218 of you. Nice to see you all here. Uh, let's see, we're at 31 minutes into this. I probably have about a three or four more minutes and then I gotta go pick up my boy. So people don't understand contracts in the supply chain. Right now, suppliers are taking a hit, but when the contracts are done, a new one is are in place will cause a larger increase. Okay. I can I can go with that, I guess. <laughs> 
when are the rate hikes going to cause the implosion um i would wait for six months to a year but the market reaction to it is going to be right away but the actual cause and effects to the economy is going to be like six months to a year afterwards so they're going to start raising rates like they already started this is going to cause like a big issue with the markets to react right away to that news but then here in six months or so we can actually see what the effects of this initial rising of interest rates is going to have so i would say in six months see where the talk and the lingo is because really they're going to be raising rates all the way up until that point where they actually start causing a real issue or whether or not it's a bad issue good issue or just you know a slowdown in the economy like they're looking for or a slowdown in demand which is just surprising considering that it's a broken supply chain that they're trying to slow the demand for so i don't know can raising interest rates actually fix that but it's going to be a raising of interest rates up for a period of time. And then all of a sudden they're going to start seeing the effects of the economy. But like I said, it takes time for it to go there. So by the time they even turn off the interest rates, it's still going to take another six months a year for the fully effects of the rising of interest rates or the stopping of rising from that point on to actually have its impact on the economy. Does all that make sense? I don't know if I said that right. Anyway, uh, 33 minutes. Okay, guys, I'm getting really close. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, is that, isn't that the name of it? What's the name of that damn coffee? Anyway, we'll talk about it again in a future video. I'll just get the coffee shop's name. I think it's 12th. It's not 12th, is it? Yeah, 12th, 12th Avenue, 12th Street, 12th Street Coffee. Anyway, it's a big coffee shop. That's the reason why I'm I'm thinking of that place, but I can't remember the name of it. So we'll talk about it again here in the in a future video. But yeah, we'll do it around 9 o'clock, say 9 to 11 or so. And, you know, we'll hang out for a little while and talk economics and drink some coffee. Sounds like fun, right? Okay, I gotta go. Oh, hey, I got another super chat. Who sent me that? Let me look at that first real quick, and then I'll go. Oh, there it is. Okay, MC Oz. You, Yui, you're a gem, buddy. Thank you so much, man. 20 bucks for the super chat. Very nice of you. I can't believe how generous you guys really are. Very cool of you. Thank you for all the compliments on the new slick haircut. Go down and check out cut and shave in Astoria and uneducated economist. You guys let me know.